Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. You're listening to The Source with Andrea Lawful Sanders on Word Radio. Streaming live on wordradio.com and the Word Radio app. Larry Krasner is a defense attorney for Philadelphia, a position he has held since the beginning of 2018. During his first term as district attorney, Larry has supported victims, he has exonerated the innocent, and he has held police accountable. Uh, the topic of conversation today is the uh, uh, the processes and levels of transparency that are in place for the disbursement of relocation. So we're going to talk about the witness protection program, in, in, in essence, right? All the things that are going on there. Um, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm very, very well at this beautiful hour. It's wonderful to be with someone so lawful. I used to get teased about that when I was growing up. I hated that name. And then Facebook said, this, is this your real name? Is that your legal name? I was like, yes, it is. I'm not making this up. How are you this morning? You know, I'm well, and I actually think it's a wonderful name. So who, whoever those people were who were teasing you, I hope they're locked up. You are funny this early in the morning. So listen, thank you for being willing to have a conversation with me. I don't I don't knock on your door often, but whenever people have questions, I figured it was time for us to talk. So um, let's let's a couple of things. You have been just fighting the good fight across the, the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, it feels like folks are coming for you in ways that we can't even begin to describe. We got, we're not going to talk about that right now. Let's talk about the witness. <laughs> He's scratching his head. Like I talked about your wife this morning and the, the diversion program that was happening at the courthouse and that I was a part of. Right. right. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about this witness diversion program. What is it? Well, um, so the DA's office has always, even before we arrived in 2018, done things to try to assist and protect victims, survivors and witnesses. Uh, when we got there, there were about 29 people in the office who did that work. That work is supposed to consist of helping people after they have suffered a death from homicide with things like uh, funeral expenses. If they're not able to pay it, it's supposed to include relocating people who are in danger of being harmed because they have witnessed something. It is also uh, something that includes attending court in certain instances. So there's some support dealing with other issues that can arise when you have, you know, either harm to someone such as trauma treatment, things of that sort, trying to get restitution. Mm -hmm. So they have a wide range of issues. And these issues are incredibly important because, you know, as the phrase goes, hurt people hurt people. And um, just as humans, we should want this. But we should also want it because it can pre- it can prevent other crimes in the future when people try to deal with the trauma they have seen or the trauma that they have suffered. I cannot tell you how many of the juvenile lifers, um, in other words, juveniles who were involved in some way in a homicide, how many of their lives I reviewed when we had to resentence them and discovered that they had either been uh, victims of great harm or they had witnessed something really atrocious. And often what they were doing at age 15 or 14 or 16 
resembled what it was they had suffered or what they had witnessed their mother suffer or their in one case it was the man's father you know that dad is killed with a hammer kid goes and does something to somebody else with a hammer i know it's awful it's absolutely awful but this is a the commonly understood phenomenon so for public safety but also just as human beings and in order to be able to get witnesses to court who need to go this is something that's very important as i said there were about 29 people when we got to the office, uh, within a few years, it was 58. We had doubled the number of people who did this work. We didn't always have funding for all of it. So we found funding for all of it. Uh, Movita Johnson Harrell, who was with us early as our victim witness coordinator, managed to get a grant that was specifically for the purpose of having about 12 people who would focus on the families of homicide victims in the first 45 days in a way that had never been done before and was very intensive. Uh, and so, you know, the numbers grew and it's a good thing because the situation with gun violence during the pandemic got, uh, you know, awful, simply put. And so there was a real need. The situation is certainly improving, but there's always a real need for intensive, capable services for people like that. In terms of relocation specifically, um, you know, although I can't think of one that's happened recently, thank goodness, there have been these horrific situations around the country and in Philadelphia where witnesses to a homicide or witnesses to a crime uh, are, and themselves become targets. And so we have to be in a position where, where sometimes very quickly we can move people out of their homes and try to put them in another location where they won't be found, where they're not going to be in danger while we're getting a case handled. Um, the need for that has increased over the years. Last, last thing I checked, we were, a, you know, we get the money from a couple of different sources, but from city council, we were apportioned, I think, $750,000 for this purpose uh, over the course of a year. That year runs from July the 1st all the way around to June the 30th. Mm -hmm. And we have spent 720 of that money. So um, and that's just because the need is there. You know, the average cost for uh, even a, a short term relocation of a family or a witness is usually about thirty thousand dollars. So you can go through this money pretty quickly in order to save lives and protect people and have them feel secure. Um, so we are going back to council, as we have done at least once in the past to tell them that, you know, thank you for the money, but this is a year when there's a greater need and we need more of that money. Uh, that's where we stand now. Now we also receive money through the state mm -hmm. and that money, ultimately some of it comes from the fed. All those details are boring, but this is the important part. The money that comes through the state has a whole lot of restrictions on it. We have to check a lot of boxes. And we often find ourselves in a situation where the money's not available because of those restrictions. Therefore, the city money, that 750 I was talking about, the city money has fewer restrictions. So right. that's really the emergency money. Right. You know, when you need to do something right now on Sunday night, uh, and you have a situation where not every single fact is known about this, but we have to save lives above all else. Right. That city money is there. It's a it's a great thing that it's there. I know that uh, Councilmember Curtis Jones was involved with its uh, the first year it was done. It was only two hundred fifty thousand at that time. So it's really really important. Um, we don't keep any of it. This is money that is used to pay expenses right. for this work, but it's very important. Right. Uh, so you know. 
a couple of days ago, someone was asking, well, where did there's money missing, which is why I asked to have you on. There, how do you uh, show accountability for these funds? You know, when people ask you, where is the money going, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a place where people can see open transparency about where the funds are going? And I ask you this because you've been under so much fire. I've been watching quietly, right? And it just feels like more things coming your way. So now they're talking about, you know, money is missing from the witness diversion program, et cetera, et cetera. Where's, how do you show accountability for what, how you use that money? So we have a very capable financial team in the office. We have a chief financial officer uh, and a group of people who do all of the accounting. Mm -hmm. Our budget is about $50 million from the general fund, meaning from from tax funds, not including any grants we're able to get. But it's about $50 million. And it's extremely important that we keep an eye on every dollar, that nobody steals anything, that nobody takes anything. This is taxpayer money. Um, it is also not a situation where we are the last word. We account for all of it, and then we turn all of our financial information over to the relevant authorities. Often that is the city. Uh, sometimes, for example, with our forfeiture money, we have an outside auditor. It's you know the attorney general's office making sure that all the money went, went where it should go. Um, I am not aware of any money being stole. It's being stolen or taken or misappropriated. I think I think whoever said that may be thinking of my predecessor. His name was Seth Williams. Um, he already completed his jail sentence, and I have no intention of joining him. So I'm not stealing. I find it easier in life, as they say, to be lawful, and therefore not to steal money and get in trouble for it. I got better things to do, frankly. If if I was all about the money, I might have taken a slightly different job. Uh, right. So, um, so you know, I, I actually truly appreciate someone who wants to make sure there's accountability. There should be. This is tax money. This is people's money. But I am not aware of any of that going on in the office. I can tell you I have great faith in the people who do keep this accounting. Um and, you know, if any, if I found anything was sideways, I would be the fir- first to report it to the right authorities to try to fix it and to, to uh, and to deal with whoever was involved with the misuse of that money. Right. Let's talk about this micro grant initiative that's happening there. What is that? So uh, the micro grant initiative is a way of trying to get chunks of money, not huge ones, but chunks of money to 501c3s or nonprofit organizations in Philadelphia, usually smaller ones, but not always, that are doing good work to support youth and to fight crime. The way this all came about is that the DA's office in pretty much every jurisdiction has always taken money away from people who are committing crimes. That money is either in the form of the tools to commit their crimes, like a speedboat if you're a drug dealer in Miami, or it's the proceeds, it's the profit from those crimes. Mm-hmm. You know, stacks of money from having sold 20 kilos of, of cocaine, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So all over the country, there's money that is forfeited, that is taken, um, you know, by a DA's office or by law enforcement. Sometimes, sometimes we're splitting it. You know, we do work with the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA. And they get a chunk of it and we get a piece of it because we work together on a big investigation. I can think of one of those cases now. When that money comes in, it has to be used certain ways by law. 
And one of the ways that it has to be used is to fight what they call blight. In other words, the crime does harm in a community. So how do you try to repair that harm with the money? Once again, that money is not for me. That money is not for, you know, raises in the DA's office. That money is to be put back into the community. And we've made a commitment to try to put it back into the community it came from. Rob, so we're, we're more likely to put to be putting his money into Kensington than into Chestnut Hill. No offense right. to my friends in Chestnut Hill. Right. But that's where the blight is. That's where the harm is. And that's where the need is. So if I could give you some examples of what we have done, um, we have created an application process that's very straightforward. It's very simple. It's only a page or two through the Philadelphia Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, people who are interested in getting these micro grants for their organizations apply there. The Philadelphia Foundation is very experienced, so they will vet the applicants and they will uh, comment on whether they believe uh, this is legit or maybe not. This is a place uh, where the money is all in order and people seem to know what they're doing or not. And then we make decisions. Let me give you some examples, if I may, because we've given away over a million dollars in in small amounts. The smaller amounts are usually, you know, five thousand dollars. I would think I think the largest I can remember giving is about fifty thousand dollars. But some of those groups would be a group like Savage Sisters, Savage Mm -hmm. Sisters, a couple of women in Kensington Mm -hmm. um, who were dealing with addiction issues for young women. Uh, we, we gave grant money to Mighty Writers, one of my favorite organizations. Mighty Writers is an organization, a 501c3, that teaches young people how to write and teaches them how to write anything they want. Right. If they want to write rap lyrics, great. They want to write a movie, great. They want to write an essay for school, mm-hmm. that's great too. Um, we gave them a little money. And here's here's another example. This is a group I think we gave about fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. There was a group called the Kensington Soccer Club, which serves about twelve hundred uh, young people every year. What we found really interesting about the Kensington Soccer Club is not just that they taught people soccer, but they were teaching people how to de-escalate conflict. Yeah. So you have a community. Um, that is well known for its diversity in terms of culture, language, national origin. You have a very physical game that everybody knows can turn into a fist fight. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of, you know, a lot of kids out there very aggressively playing the game. They're inevitably going to trip each other, knock into each other, things of that sort. How do you teach them a life skill so they won't have violence on the street? So they won't respond to disrespect or a punch by just going for somebody's gun. How do you do that? But one of the beautiful things they were doing was that. So I think we gave them about $50,000, which if you think about it, you know, to serve 1,200 kids. It's not a whole lot of money at all. Absolutely. Not a lot of money. And, you know, that was part of the issue here. The the city traditionally has put big chunks of money into big organizations, and it's usually the ones they already know. It's the ones that are more corporate in the sense that there's, you know, a lot of people in the office. Uh, They have lawyers, they have access, they have friends in government. And I'm not saying that they fail to do the work. Many of them do the work well. But, you know, once a city gets you. But many of them do not. And that has been a thing that has stuck in my craw (laughs) for a while, um, that they get these millions and millions of dollars. They send people into the community that does not look like us. They take all the data and they use the data to get more money and nothing has changed. 
right? So the idea that the district attorney's office is actually doing something tangible by giving funds to the people that are actually in the communities doing the work makes all the difference. I want to ask you this, uh, because you have an adult diversion and alternatives to incarceration initiative at the district attorney's office, right? Uh, which includes, um, you know, diversion, uh, summary diversion program, accelerated misdemeanor program, accelerated sexual education and responsibility. There has been a conversation that, uh, there is a sex offender diversion program. Is there such a thing in the district attorney's office? Um, I, I think the answer is no. There is there is a domestic violence diversionary program, but that is not sex offenses. That is, you know, the tragedy of a partners in a couple, especially men, um, <clears throat> hitting or or otherwise harming uh, yes. women. Right. You should understand, though. We're extremely careful about this. You know, when you have a situation where there's an intact marriage with kids the relationship is generally good mm -hmm. but the husband has you know gone off the edge drinking and he slaps around or or strikes his wife on an occasion the police come he's arrested mm -hmm. he is remorseful and she comes to us and says i do not want him convicted and in jail mm -hmm. i need him to keep that job support these kids he's a good husband but he's got this problem with alcohol and he's acting out. Well, that's the person that you put into domestic violence diversion. So he's going to get trained and instructed on how much harm he's doing. And we're going to address his alcohol issue. And if he comes back again, he's not getting another break. Uh, if he comes back again, he's going to be seeing, you know, what you see, which is a courtroom and possibly a jail cell. Yeah. Um, it's also not anything that we would do for someone who does more serious harm to their partner. And it's a situation where it may depend significantly on what the partner says. If you have a, a woman, and it's usually women, who's saying he's done this 20 times, this is the first time I called. That's very different than he's never done this, but he's Boy. gone off the, the deep end with the booze mm -hmm. in the last little bit. So, um, yes, we do have that. I, I am not aware at all of a right. sex offender diversionary program existing in the DA's office. Okay. I'm grateful for that. What I love about what you do because usually when people think about the district attorney's office is that we're going to lock you up and that's the end of that. You see the humanity in people. You know, your office sees the humanity in people. And these diversionary programs really help a lot of people. To your point, when you discussed the lifer whose father was killed with a hammer and then he went and harmed somebody with a hammer himself, we don't, we don't ask the questions. We just jail people. We don't ask the questions around why did this happen? What has happened in your life? And they spent decades in prison only to realize that this was, you know, the trauma that they experienced and no one did anything about it, right? So I'm grateful that that you're doing that. I want you to, I would love to see you more often on my show. I really would. First of all, you're funny as hell. You <laughs> me cracking up over here. And secondly, you know, we can talk more about what the district attorney's office is doing so that we can, so people can understand. Because when they call me with these questions, I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but let me go to the source, <laughs> which is you. Um, so, you know, let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, give me one second. I have one more question for you. I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. Okay. Can you hold on one second? All right. Yes. You are listening to The Source on WURD, Progressive Black Thought Media, on air and online at wordradio.com. If you're just joining us, I am Andrea Lawful Sanders, your host. We'll be right back with the District Attorney of Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, after these messages. 
You're listening to The Source with Andrea Lawful Sanders on Word Radio. Streaming live on wordradio.com and the Word Radio app. Welcome back to The Source on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media, on air and online at wordradio.com. If you're just joining us, I am mother, Andrea Lawful Sanders, your host, Mondays through Fridays from 5 to 7 a.m. I have the District Attorney of Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, on, and we're talking about the Witness Diversionary Program, where the funds are going, how is it spent, the micro-grants that they give out to people who are actually in the community doing the work. Now, I have two questions for him. One of them is, there's this new thing uh, at the state level where they were saying that if there was crime committed around SEPTA buses, where public transportation is happening, that that, that case, those cases would go to a special district attorney, um, attorney, attorney general at the state level. What are your thoughts around this? Why is this happening? Is this a thing? Is this legal? Um, no, I do not think it's legal. In fact, we have filed a lawsuit uh, claiming that it is unconstitutional. What's really going on here is nothing to do with SEPTA. That's just a, a Halloween costume, as they say. What's really going on here is this is a bill that has singled out Philadelphia and no other county. And by no other county, I mean all the other counties where SEPTA goes. It does not apply to all these other counties. And what the bill says is not just about SEPTA. It, it is, if you read the language carefully, it is potentially about anything that happens within 500 yards in mm-hmm. any direction from a SEPTA station. And there are thousands. And within 500 yards, <laughs> excuse me, of any SEPTA route or any SEPTA warehouses. In other words, it's almost the entire city of Philadelphia. It is 81% of all the criminal incidents that occur, and it's over 90% of all the land mass where this special prosecutor is given the right only in Philly to come in and snatch cases away from the DA's office. About all they left to me for, for our office is where the geese hang out in the middle of Fairmount Park. Um, you know, I mean, I suppose I could prosecute geese, but I, but I was more interested in prosecuting killers. So, so, so essentially what they're doing, if I am hearing you correctly, is they're trying to make you null and void, that you just have the office, but you wouldn't have the power. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That is part of what they're trying to do. Yes. But the way they're trying to do it is by erasing the 155,102 voters who one way or another got to the polls or got their vote counted when we won re-election with 72% of the vote. That's what's really going on here, is you have the most diverse and the biggest city in in Pennsylvania having its vote erased Mm -hmm. so that the attorney general, who, by the way, is appointed, Josh Shapiro was elected, but the one who's in there now, she's appointed, never elected to anything. She gets to appoint somebody else to take all of that away from all those people who went to the polls in order to have decisions in Philly made by the person that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, this is straight up nothing other than what Trump has been up to. This, this is an effort to erase votes, and we know exactly which votes Trump wants to erase. He wants to erase Democrats. He wants yeah. to erase uh, poor people. He wants to erase black and brown people. He wants to erase progressives and liberals who vote. This is a democracy our votes count and it, our votes should count all over the state. So, you know, I have no reservation saying this is just one more effort to disenfranchise and erase and to discourage uh, the vote in Philadelphia 
in one of the most important presidential election years in the history of the United States. Absolutely. I have Jamie Harrison coming on later on to talk about uh, the Democratic National Chair to have a conversation about our votes, right? What does that look like in this most important election? The last question I have for you is, how do you plan to help Mayor uh, Parker with cleaning Kensington? And how do you plan to support the mayor with her public safety plans? Can you? Are you able? Oh, ab- <clears throat> we absolutely can. You know, when the mayor spoke at length, uh, and I think righteously, about how we need to have intergovernmental cooperation, how there needs to be collaboration, and how it needs to be one Philly, as she put it, um, I agreed completely then, and I agree completely now. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to meet with her because that hasn't happened yet um, so that we can go over these things. You should know that Kensington is very near and dear to my heart, partly because I came out of uh, my education with some fluency in the Spanish language. My undergraduate college degree was actually in Spanish. And I became a public defender in Philadelphia in 1987. And because so few lawyers spoke Spanish, I was immediately given a lot of cases where there were Spanish-speaking people, and that was Kensington. So I have been going to, dealing with, talking to victims, witnesses, talking to defendants since 1987 in Kensington. And I've seen uh, the the reality, which is that it has been heroin central since the late 1960s, but also how the opioid epidemic has made everything worse in the last I would say 10 to 15 years. I've seen all of that. I've been a a part of what I could try to do to make things better there for individuals or for groups for quite some time. So I'm, I'm very passionate about it, but I'm passionate about what works because the reality is Frank Rizzo was around when Kensington was having terrible trouble and he didn't fix it. And the reality is that you know, at times when Philly had even higher levels of incarceration than now, that didn't fix it. This has to be done in ways that are new, that are innovative. And any effort to go back in time is simply not going to work. Yes. Wow. Thank you so much, uh, Larry Krasner. One last thing. There's a man here, uh, Marvin Hamlet, that says, please remind district attorney that men are abused, too. And I think you're very aware of that. I have I have men who have called into the show that had their eyes plucked out by their exes, you know, and because they were women, it took us such a long time. And men, there is no safe space for men who are abused to come on, uh, to come into an office and say, I've been abused. People ridicule them. Like, how, how could, is that possible? But it's happening more than often, more than not. I'd like to have you back on at least once every other month, once a month. I'm going to get G. Lamar Stewart on to, to make sure that that happens. Thank you so much. They are enjoying this conversation with you. Like me, they think you're funny. <laughs> and that, you know, you keep a lot of brevity and levity here. And these, these are some serious issues that we need to discuss um, in the process of what's going on in Philadelphia. I hope that when you meet with the mayor, you're able to get some things accomplished, that you're all working intergovernmentally. And that, like she says, I agree with you, one Philly. So let's see what comes out of all of this. And if everybody will work together, um, that we can get this done. Uh, thank you so, so much, uh, District Attorney Larry Krasner. I look forward to speaking with you soon, okay? Thank, thank you so much. And I am promising and committing that I will try to be on a show that is so lawful at least once a month. I guarantee that. All right, sir. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 